This is The Causes of Things, and I'm your host, Michael O'Fallon. This nation is under a forcible transition as we move from a physical, human decision-driven, scientific method-driven, objective truth-valuing, analog world, and are shoved into the fascist boxcar of an artificially intelligent, with emphasis, by the way, on the artificial, transhumanist, neo-Marxist, technocracy-ruled, Keynesian economic equity-based subjective digital world. That's what's happening to you. Against your will. That is what's happening to your family. That is what is happening to our civilization. And over the past month, there has been a raucous, loud, seemingly anarchist cry to defund the police that has risen from the progressive left. So what does defund the police really mean? And why is it that every single progressive Democrat-controlled city across this nation, every single Democrat-progressive-controlled state across this nation has embraced this concept at the same time with the same details, with the same efforts? creating chaos across our nation. Why is this happening all at once? Well, all the reasons that those that are calling to defund the police all lead to are the now-tired arguments of blaming the pseudo-boogeyman of systemic racism along with systemic police injustice and systemic oppression. Well, that should give you a clue about what's really going on here. The radical neo-Marxist deconstructionists want to deconstruct our systems and replace our good, but not perfect, but very reliable and humanly accountable systems with something quite different. Well, let's go ahead and start first with some context from a time perspective of how we got into this insane revolutionary point that we are in today. Let's get back to February and January of this past year and then move into March where everything was shut down, locked down. Well, for nearly three months, this nation was under the grip of the new fourth and fifth branches of our government. The directors of public health and safety. And the mainstream media. Western civilization had to endure the greatest worldwide onslaught of sheer panic and reflexivity. Progressive deconstructionist governors and mayors around our nation ruled with iron fists directing the police to enforce their new edicts from our new progressive monarchial episcopates as they shut down and arrested men and women trying to exercise their constitutional rights at 
Jewish funerals. Maybe young men going out for a surfboarding session on Malibu Beach. People wanting to go to the beach. With parents taking their kids to the playground. With churches that wanted to meet even outdoors. With businesses that just wanted to get started again. To try to make a living. Cutting hair. Serving a beer. Or even selling seeds for someone to grow in their garden. You see, if you went out and did anything, anything at all, you could be a murderer. You could be killing your fellow citizen. And as a church member, you needed to love thy neighbor. Stay in your house, scared, and lock yourself down. Don't go out anywhere. Or you could be killing someone. And their blood will be on your hands. Those are the kind of things that we heard from the ERLC and the Gospel Coalition. Yes, the Democrats used the power of the police underneath them to enforce their whims, flying in the face of our Constitution and that of past precedent. These draconian monsters suffocated average Americans with their knees to the necks of businesses that had been in business for generations. They choked them out. They cut off their oxygen and used the entire weight and force of the many times reluctant police to enforce their whims and use their power. And in doing so, the Democrat progressive mayors and governors destroyed our economic systems in America. Sending millions to the government for a handout. Completely restructuring the way our nation works. Eliminating small businesses. But yet the large international organizations and companies grew. In particular, Amazon exploded in size, grew exponentially over just a four-month period. But average Americans that own small businesses, restaurants, shops, gyms, people getting fired everywhere, people that had put their whole lives into building their businesses, Well, this destruction led many to massive depression and even suicide. Hopelessness. And then, as the American economy was about to roar back to new heights, it happened. The fuse of the revolution was lit. On May 25th, 2020, in Minneapolis, Minnesota, a police officer, Derek Chauvin, who had already had 18 complaints lodged against him, killed a black man, George Floyd, 
by kneeling on his neck and suffocating him as he pleaded for his life for nearly nine minutes. And we all saw this video many, many times. It was really one of the first public killings in detail that the entirety of America all at one time has ever seen. The video didn't stop. The video didn't fade out. No, everywhere you saw it, you had to watch this gruesome killing. And it was horrible. It was terrible. Angry protest in Minneapolis quickly turned into riots that ravaged the city. Stoked in many cases by people that weren't even from the city. People that were professional anarchists and terrorists. The police did not intervene. The mayor had ordered them to withdraw and do nothing. More protests and riots soon broke out in major cities throughout the country. And rapidly this led to widespread disorder. In the midst of the riots, you could see the same techniques used over and over again from the mob. Whether the rioters were in Minneapolis, Washington, D.C., Los Angeles, Chicago, Dallas, Portland, Seattle, Miami, Phoenix, and even in London, Paris, and other cities across the Western Hemisphere at the same time, using the exact same techniques. The first row of frontline deconstructionist soldiers would line up before law enforcement, screen epitaphs, insults, dare the police to take physical action. When the tension and aggression would hit a fever pitch, the front line of rioters would hold up their hands and scream, don't shoot, or other such commands of the police while in back of the front line, maybe 10 or 20 yards back, the second row of protesters would throw frozen water bottles, projectiles, rocks, bricks, and even in some cases, Molotov cocktails at the police leaving the frontline police officers in a situation where they could not take action against the front line and could not reach the second line where the deadly objects were being thrown in their direction. By the way, nearly 60 Secret Service officers were wounded, some severely, in the defense of the White House over one weekend. So with this being the case, the police had only one option, to deploy tear gas and smoke into the second line of rioting mobs, the mobs that were trying to injure or kill them. Now, of course, as if on cue, progressive Democrat mayors and governors convened to take away the ability of police officers, the bad guys, to use tear gas as an effective tool against those trying to riot, to kill the police, or 
to put it in perspective. Take over entire sections of cities and declare them autonomous zones. In the twin cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul, 1,500 buildings were vandalized, looted, or destroyed. People that tried to protect their businesses, especially if they were of the wrong skin color, were beaten senseless. And this was caught on video. But of course, this didn't make the mainstream news. And much of it was taken down quickly from social media. Again, the police did little to intervene. The mayors of most of the cities had asked the police to act with restraint. To give room for the rioters to destroy. Which was quite evident across the nation. Stores and businesses that had to endure months of being suppressed, choked out by deconstructionist governors and mayors like Newsom of California, de Blasio of New York, Murphy of New Jersey, Whitmer of Michigan, who would take their cues from their directors of public health and keep their knees on the necks of their residents and small businesses. And in what was sheer hypocrisy, these governors and mayors would use and abuse the power of the police to carry out their unlawful edicts. Of course, while this was happening, Costco, Walmart, Publix, Home Depot, and especially Amazon were doing just fine. Record profits, in fact. So what happened to these small businesses and restaurants in cities like Santa Monica, California, New York, New York, Portland, Oregon, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. I could go on. The list of cities is endless. Well, after all these months of staying locked down to love thy neighbor, now these businesses... Now many of these homes were destroyed by the mobs just as they were preparing to reopen for a second chance to give it a try. Completely demolished. Burnt to the ground. Looted. With, by the way, politicians and even ministers making excuses for the looting, for the rioting. The rioters attacked churches and synagogues as well. Yes, they looted many stores, often belonging to minority owners in distressed neighborhoods. Eventually, the riots slowed down. Not completely gone yet. They could get fired up again. But the damage was immense. An area of Seattle's city center that was taken over by the mob, the Chaz or Chop Zone, it has since been disbanded. But a copycat effort to take over an area has installed itself in New York City, near City Hall. Statues and monuments throughout the country were attacked. First Confederate statues, 
but then tributes to Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, and prominent politicians supported the rioters. Even corporate leaders supported the rioters. The mayor of Boston said he wanted to remove from a city square a statue of Lincoln standing in front of a liberated black man. Members of the New York City Council requested that a statue of Thomas Jefferson be removed from the city hall. In Portland, Oregon, the statue of George Washington was pulled down and set on fire. Statues of Christopher Columbus were toppled and beheaded. The mob's destruction or removal of statues was an attempt to erase the history of the United States and to treat great men such as Abraham Lincoln with contempt, a man who abolished slavery. George Washington, first president of the United States, or Thomas Jefferson, third president of the United States, and author of the Declaration of Independence, to treat them as if they were irredeemably despicable. Out with the old. And soon, in with the new. But first, we had to sow more chaos. You see, what they're doing is just an old-fashioned power grab. And the first law of power grabbers is that if no one stops them, they keep on going, often with catastrophic consequences. And back in the spring of 2019, I had warned about these out with the old, in with the new ideas. This was the new fever pitch of the American Cultural Revolution. In so many ways, it was mirroring Mao Zedong's destructive cultural revolution back 50 years ago to crush the dissent of the conservative voices in Mao's China and to erase, erase everything, the culture, the traditions, the generations, the families, the artwork, it all had to go. Very much like Robespierre did in the French Revolution. Erase the past. Begin at year zero, a point of reference in the revolution, because, you see, the virus is a Trojan horse. As we said, much like a computer virus, it was here to destroy our systems. Our operating system had to be replaced in the Fourth Industrial Revolution. And if it were up to you in a democratic republic, you would have said no to any of this. You would have said, no, thanks. I think things are going just fine here in January of 2020. Things look rosy. The future is predictable. If we continue to work hard, if we continue to have good, robust debate, we can all move together as society. But that's not what our new overlords wanted. Because, you see, the other operating system is ready. And it has worked really well in other places, like China. And one of those systems that must be replaced for this to work out would be law enforcement. 
And without our current system of law enforcement, what will be missing will be the law, our constitutional protections. Now, let me explain how this major change will be employed. First, if you're someone that wants to completely start a revolution, and if you want to replace the old systems with new systems, what you need to do is create a situation where the police can be blamed for nearly everything and demand that in this crisis, quote, everything must be changed and we can't wait. We must act now. Maybe you've heard that several times over the past few years in other situations. So you want to focus on one terrible event, one that everyone, regardless of how much melanin is in their skin, would agree is terrible, is horrific. Then focus on the immutable characteristics of the officer and the victim in question. In this case, it's that the officer is white and the victim is black. Make sure that you emphasize the white and the black. Emphasize it to the point where it no longer is about two persons involved in the crime, but instead about the collective immutable characteristics, white and black. And then, after you have definitely determined that this is a black and white issue, now turn to another divisible characteristic of the white in this particular case. Law enforcement. The police. You can then twist figures, make false claims that there is a disproportionate amount of blacks killed by the white system without providing a multivariate analysis of the situation. You must insist on a univariate conclusion without any data or proof. You just have to insist it. Now, if you're the one who's manipulating this whole thing, you have to make sure that to achieve your goal, this all must now be about power and systems. And if you can continue to focus on one event, one egregious situation that everyone agrees upon, it allows you to drum home your strategy without any epistemic pushback. Maybe you can convince everybody to put up a black square on their Instagram for a day. Then it can continue to be about the abuse of power and the need to take back power. Which is really what you want. A revolution. And in this case, the way the deconstructionist must frame the issue, it must be about white power against black oppression. It is the classic Marxist oppressor-oppressed narrative. Because your goal is a total replacement of our current analog systems, you know, the Constitution and all that stuff, with a digital technocratic system. You then make everything about systemic privilege, systemic racism, systemic injustice, systemic police brutality, and on and on and on. Because, as we have talked about previously, this is all about replacing our systems out with the old. And in with the new system that will be free of human error. 
and based upon an intersectional framework that takes into account systemic injustice and privilege to replace these fertile fallacies with racism and discrimination as applied through an intersectional framework. That's what's going on. You're claiming racism and oppression, but what you're actually putting into place is racism and oppression on people based upon their immutable characteristics for the sake of bringing in your new system. Intersectionality is measurable. It is mathematic in some alchemist sense of a univariable prejudice and discrimination. And it will demand the unequal portioning of all things measurable. Wealth, goods, positions, health, and justice, according to a new discriminatory grid. But here is what is happening, and you need to be aware of how this entire scheme works. With the defund the police momentum, with the lack of support of the police to do their jobs, and the lack of backing the police to enforce the law in dangerous situations, Law enforcement will be abandoned, as will the law. And right away, people will see the roving bands of community protectors roaming the streets with AK-47s and AR-15s, ready to shoot and kill anyone of the supposedly, and by this I mean that all ethnicities are being played here, to kill the opposing race for being in their community. And hence, you will have enhanced tribalism. The very thing that open society advocates say they are against will be encouraged and even funded because they want the chaos at first, because they want some amount of death and tragedy and uncertainty, because enough chaos and hatred must happen within the vacuum left by the absence of law enforcement that we will demand that we must have some law and order and some law enforcement. But you see, the groups like the World Economic Forum, the DNC, Open Societies Foundations, and the Communist Chinese Party, who are in many ways behind the chaos and the new meta narrative, see, these people are not stupid. And they will use violent, useful idiots as their hammers to destroy the foundations of the old systems. But those useful idiots have a shelf life. And they will be disposed of. But by the time this happens, our law will be absent. Our constitution will be in tatters. So what law will be in its place? Public safety. And the technocratic responses will be, quote, Well, we definitely don't want to go back to those old racist forms of policing born out of systemic oppression. We must do something new. End quote. But this something new is something that has already been put into place in other areas of the world for a few years now. 
And we have also seen a few examples of how this new system can work in limited fashion in the Western Hemisphere as well. Within the elites and the intelligentsia, there has always been a fascination with complete totalitarian control. Control by the experts, those that know better than you. So let me again repeat what I'd stated in past episodes that should be able to help you understand how nearly every major change that you're going to be forced into will be unfolding in the next several months. Now, of course, again, this will be without your opportunity to vote or to be fully informed by your technocratic local, state, and national politicians. You are being ushered into a meta-system transition in regards to what will be understood loosely as law enforcement. So in the view of those that are attempting to bring into governance an artificial intelligence guided of omnipresent, omniscient knowledge of all human interaction and decision-making, the understanding is that our old, primarily physical form of law enforcement of the old laws, the old control systems, will be unable to align itself with the more stable digital system. Because, as the case will be made, Policing has evolved, but the systemic injustices and racism that has accompanied the evolution of policing has not evolved. But the technocratic elites will claim that the systemic privilege is baked into the system. So to make the case for the transition into a non-physical intervention police force from what we have today, they will cite the history of policing. So instead of looking at a totality of the history of law enforcement, our adversaries will attempt to align policing with each industrial revolution over the past 200 years for an explanation of where we're going today. So let's take a look and see exactly how they're going to try to accomplish this. Well, they would explain this first. In the first industrial revolution, the civilian policing model inspired by Sir Robert Peel served an industrializing and democratizing society. Everything was primarily enforced by human disciplines and physical enforcement, in a very localized environment. Now, as we move into the second industrial revolution, the evolution of this model to serve society in the age evolved to one of electric power and mass production, harnessing two-way radio and emerging tools of crime science, such as fingerprinting. And then as you moved into the modern third industrial revolution, we have the evolution of policing to serve, in their eyes, what is a more diverse society, harnessing computing and digital technologies, a more specialized workforce, and traditional management disciplines to improve police productivity. So this is where we are today. We are in an analog world that then computers, the digital world, is basically at our beck and call. They are tools for us to use. But if you're planning on ushering in the fourth industrial revolution, you need a new system that will integrate with your new meta system. And as you need to do a great reset right now, you can't wait, by the way, you need to break the old system. There is no easy transitioning. There is no going to the voting public. There is no convincing of the voting public. There is no being honest with the voting public. You need to break the old system. You need to defund the old system. Clear out the old system. 
like you would wiping memory off of a digital card or off of your hard drive, because it needs to be reset. Now, there will be some pain and unintended consequences, such as chaos erupting in the streets, autonomous zones, progressive mayors abandoning precincts. You might ask when this has ever happened before in the United States, by the way. You see, you aren't going to be given a chance to vote on this next evolution of policing or this transition into the new meta system. Because, and here's that old, what should be a tired phrase by now that you've heard by the merchants of panic, from anywhere from our politicians uh, to our leaders in the Christian church, such as Russell Moore. Here it is, quote, there is a crisis and this must be changed right now. There is no time to wait, end quote. And so you promote the slogans all over the world and use people with grievances that you have enhanced in their minds over the past 10 years of their education process to be your revolutionaries, to go out, march and shout, all cops are bastards and F the police and enhance the crisis. Create reflexivity. And so you begin the call to end the old system. Defund the old system. You say that the police themselves and the system of the police is the problem. So in the fourth industrial revolution, Policing that will harness data, and as everything in the Internet of Things is about data, data and the control of that data in your new smart city grid, that is what is in control of everything. Anything that you want to buy, anything that you want to do, anywhere that you want to go. No more physical transactions, all digital. No more autonomous travel, all controlled by the smart grid. So all of this will be controllable. By the state. So you will also be sold on strategic insight, which means predictive modeling, person-centered design, cyber-physical systems to create seamless connectivity with the public and other agencies and transform public safety. In other words, everything is completely integrated into a full digital world. Your location at all times. Your behavior at all times your physical condition at all times, your transactions at all times, your communication at all times. That is how you police in the future. So to do this, you will need to introduce fertile fallacies, such as, quote, the police are systemically corrupted by racial biases and must be removed, end quote. And this is the false reason for your great reset. Lie to the public and tell them that you want to involve the public in difficult prioritization choices and trade-offs, such as the loss of privacy, liberty, autonomy, and protection under the Constitution. These are all things that you might have to make a trade-off with. So you can say you worked with the public in order to maintain legitimacy, including through deliberative processes such as citizens' juries. So you fool the public into thinking that they have some control in this transition, even though they have no idea that you have planned this metasystem transition for years and years. And I've been in a lot of those meetings, by the way.
Number two, have more rigorous data-driven conversations about which demands can be serviced physically by police, such as violence, assault, and physical threats. And then what other preventative capabilities that don't need physical, nasty, gun-toting police at different resourcing levels. And then what can be suggested is that possibly we can bring along something like a drone that could shout at people that are out of line that could also lower their credit score. So you protect hard-edge crime prevention capabilities in order to avoid a vicious cycle of simply responding to increasing demand. So how you replace those that are not hard-edged is by managing demand in the short term through enabling self-service, setting up resolution centers, and other ways of dealing with low-level crime more efficiently. You redefine visibility of policing to include online and telephone interactions and omnipresent surveillance that provides a better but cheaper universal policing offer. So, you know, so you can defund the police. You want to begin engaging public sector partners and businesses in dialogue to determine who is best placed to manage problems and reallocate responsibilities if needed. So all of the corporate partners that have bought into the Great Reset of the World Economic Forum can have a part in the power of policing. I'm not kidding. We will talk more about this in a future episode. Now, to do this, you'll want to ensure that all organizations are pulling in the same direction by taking time to build alignment around a much clearer, more meaningful organizational aspiration and by clarifying core policing and leadership philosophies. Everybody's got to be lockstep. Everybody's got to be marching to the beat of the same drummer. So in other words, every city, state, municipality must be on board with this. There is no opting out. Now, your privileged population, those that are born with the original sin of being white, cisgendered, male, and if they have a bit more in the bank than somebody else, they will need to understand that policing will not be prioritized for them. As a matter of fact, it won't be even, just like with healthcare equity. We must now install the new neo-Marxist policies of police equity, which is, of course, funded and partnered with Google. You can view the link on the webpage that houses this article. You see, the answer to all of this is using manipulated data and statistics to cure the problem of systemic injustice in policing. And of course, the next answer on how to fix our policing is located just underneath on the same webpage. Digitizing and analyzing the performance of the U.S. criminal justice system. So we must digitize the U.S. criminal justice system. As I have been saying, we are being forcibly moved through a process of reflexivity from an analog world into a digital world. And you don't have any say in this. You don't have a vote on any of this. There is absolutely zero transparency about any of what has been planned in many, many sessions over many, many years in conferences and meetings across the globe. You never heard a peep about it. 
Maybe it didn't interest you. Maybe you did see something and you just didn't take time to read that long, dry, sciencey article with confusing words that seem new to you. And all of this will be thrust upon the United States and upon Western civilization by using a fertile fallacy as the primary reason for why we must surrender our Constitution, surrender our legal and criminal justice system, and turn it over to the technocrats. And again, that fertile fallacy is historical racial injustice in policing. Once again, I have provided the link to this manipulative scheme of the elitist socialist at the World Economic Forum on the webpage that houses this podcast. And what the elitist group of technocrats at the World Economic Forum will script for our progressive Democrat and progressive Republican leaders to claim about the reason why there is historical racial injustice in our system is that for years in our policing institutional policies and practices, the privileges and biases of white systems have created different outcomes for different racial groups. And this effect has created advantages for whites and oppression and disadvantage for people from groups classified as people of color. So their answer to this made-up problem is to create institutional policies in our new policing and practices that result in different outcomes for different racial groups. And this will create advantages for those identified as people of color, in whatever their intersectional scheme will be, and oppression and disadvantages for people classified as white or privileged. The biggest problem with this understanding of institutional or systemic racism is that it ascribes to racism any disparities in outcome that end up with white or white adjacent groups above other groups, no matter what are the actual causes of those disparities. So once again, it is the forced introduction of an unproven univariate analysis that insists on only one correlation that does not take into account a multivariate possibility of cause. And as we have said in past episodes, correlation does not imply causation. This means that a highly charged term, racism, is attached to something that might be arising as a result of a multitude of differing variables, like economic status, home condition, cultural mores, etc., that correlate highly with ethnicity or culture. And then, the false correlation proceeds from a theoretical position in which white people are mostly unconsciously motivated to maintain their alleged social dominance. There is almost no way to disagree with such an accusation and attempt a better, more effective, and accurate analysis of the policy and its outcomes. This can prevent understanding the necessary components of the issue that could generate genuine progress and thus is likely to hurt the people it aims to help the most, or at least what they say they're aiming to help the most which is what has happened to many black communities that have been deconstructed by the forcible engineering of politicians over the last 50 years. So all of the policies that are being created are created with resentment and vengeance against their fellow human beings. And intersectionality will be the measure. And every single police shooting, every single difficult arrest, even if the perpetrator is armed and violent, will be used as a confirmation bias, proof that the police 
system is broken and biased. Of course, only the arrest or police shootings that help to make the case that everything is biased against people of color will be highlighted in their narrative. But it must be shown that this system that we have now is prejudiced, oppressive, and biased. And to take out all the biases, it is better that we keep the human element out of the equation of applying justice, right? Public health and safety, if you haven't noticed, is now overriding our constitutional rights. Public health and safety, the experts, the scientists, are the ones who are directing our elected officials. So, as analog policing is being replaced by digital policing, law enforcement is in charge of enforcing public safety and will handle all of the challenges that will come with the brave new world in the Great Reset. The few police officers that are left will have to rely on technology for many parts of their job. Artificial intelligence technology will be the important aspect of police work globally. As AI-based police technology becomes increasingly essential to law enforcement, areas like crime prevention and prediction are going through major changes. Predictive policing is just one of the results to come out of this transformation with other policing practices undergoing significant adjustments in the name of public safety. Facial recognition technology is crucial to police departments. Police officers use facial recognition to identify criminals on the run and missing persons using image data. If you've ever seen footage from a street camera, you know how low quality these images are. As you may imagine, reviewing these images for key information is difficult and labor intensive. Many police departments don't even have enough people or specialists to handle the volume of image analysis needed to solve all their cases. Artificial intelligence promises greater accuracy than humans in matching faces, which will result in the need to reduce the amount of men and women in our police force. Machines can use parameters to identify faces beyond what humans can typically detect, so our police are obsolete. I mean, humans are so fallible, you know? Some artificial intelligence technology today is even advanced enough to find a single face in a crowd at a stadium, a full stadium, something that recently helped China catch a criminal at a crowded sports event. Artificial intelligence predictive policing refers to the ability to predict where crimes will occur in the future. The individuals who will commit those crimes in the future. The types of crimes that will be committed in the future. And even who the victims will be in those crimes in the future. Companies and police departments are just starting to test out predictive policing systems. But these systems could eventually provide significant strides forward in predicting and ideally preventing crimes. Police departments are now turning to robotics to handle tasks ranging from the mundane to the most dangerous. Very soon, these robotic units will be digitally linked in with artificial intelligence for proper governance. Some countries are indeed testing out robots who act as replacement police officers. Dubai, for example, is experimenting with street robots that can transmit data back to headquarters to be reviewed by humans there. 
They're also equipped with touchscreens for reporting crimes and can communicate in six different languages. Today's robots can also complete more complex tasks on behalf of police officers. They can enter dangerous locations and identify humans and objects that pose potential threats, a safer alternative to risking police officers' lives. There are robots that are also equipped with the ability to detonate bombs, improving public safety without putting officers, human lives, in harm's way. So, police officers are obsolete. And really, this is about protecting their lives as well. Artificial intelligence is adept at spotting anomalies and patterns. And this lends itself well to discovering nonviolent crimes like fraud and money laundering. Banks have already dived in on the artificial intelligence revolution as being integral to their security, and law enforcement is partnering with these entities to catch these kinds of crimes. Through analyzing images, artificial intelligence can pick out counterfeit goods and counterfeit bills with a high probability of accuracy, spotting details that the human eye may miss. You see, because human beings just can't do the incredible job at the incredible speed that artificial intelligence can. So, in the United States, where we have policing in place with pensions and developed hierarchies and a criminal justice system that is old and constitutional, artificial intelligence may still be new to the law enforcement community, but its applications have not yet been fully realized. But AI is already making an impact in key areas like surveillance, crime prevention, and crime solving in other parts of the digital world, like China. With enhanced imaging technologies and object and facial recognition, artificial intelligence reduces the need for labor-intensive tasks, freeing officers to handle more complex activities, more physical activities, we should say. Artificial intelligence also may capture criminals that would otherwise go free and solve crimes that would otherwise go undetected. Predictive policing is likewise an area to really pay attention to, as it will have major implications for how criminals are caught and how victims are identified. So we just have to work around that old Constitution and Bill of Rights thing. Now, ideally... Predictive policing will safeguard the public even more than before, and it will save each community enormous amounts of revenue that can be directed in other areas to help eliminate economic disparities, let's say. But if you want all the benefits of the new policing 4.0 in artificial intelligence, you have to start by getting rid of that sloppy, error-filled, biased human element out of the way to be able to implement the sharp, accurate, fast, infallible, unbiased artificial intelligence systems in place in your brave new world. Now, if we could just get those obsolete humans out of the way, if we could just get those unconsciously biased humans that exist in their third industrial revolution system that is filled with systemic oppression and racism out of the way, if we could just defund the police, And once we bring the intelligent, unbiased systems of artificial intelligence in, we can all be a part of the giant matrix of the new system as prescribed 
by the Great Reset. So now you know. So now you have the knowledge. So now you have the responsibility. So now you need to go far and wide and stand in civic meetings, stand in city commission meetings, go to Congress if necessary, and demand to keep our criminal justice system, our police, in its current form until we have a robust debate, nationwide discussions about the future of policing and how that future will protect our old constitutional rights. I will not be a slave to a cybernetic system and neither should you. We must win. I'm Michael O'Fallon and this has been The Causes of Things.